welcome aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i am david Bax. and thank you for listening david yes welcome back yeah we're back uh yeah well welcome back to you i guess i, I was here last week yeah, david. But you where were here you two weeks i was uh basking in the not having seenness of uh batman v superman that's a pretty uh warming glow yeah I'll say that <laughs> um so uh yeah i guess yeah we we uh, we, we took a couple weeks of not doing the show proper yeah. but now we're going to do this show proper today sure absolutely uh but because we're a couple weeks late i've had something from the our uh post office box yeah um P.O. Box, I call that, because I got places to be. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm very excited to share with you. It is a, because of my late, it's a late birthday present for you. Oh, hey, all right. From a listener that is even later now, because (laughs) it's been two, three weeks since we've been in the same room. Um, But you, here. Uh, we'll be, okay, we also we each have letters <laughs> oh, okay. that we're not going to read because they're long, but thank you to, oh, all right. uh, to Jarrett. But you got a birthday card. Okay. That's... And a Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, first time on Blu-ray. It's King of Kings. I bet this is super long. Yeah, it's... Uh, 171 minutes. But it's... Um, that's a Nicholas Ray film, am I right? I believe so. Uh, uh, and yes. Is actually, it will be... Uh, Playing at the upcoming TCM uh, Classic Film Fest. So I don't even need this Blu-ray. Um, Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I'll take it. No, it's all right. Uh, no, I've actually, uh, it's Nicholas Ray. I've heard good things about it. I've heard as far as like Jesus movies. Yeah. First off, I don't like being pigeonholed in this way, but whatever. Uh, still, nobody, nobody has yet purchased Seven Samurai for me. And you got a seven Sam- a copy of Seven Samurai from a listener once, yes. right? But now you got King of Kings. That's true. There is that. Um, no, I've, I've heard wonderful things about it. Uh, and... When I have the time, I will watch it. What is the name of the... Uh, Jarrett. Is Jarrett. Name? Thank you very much. I, uh, I'm i making jokes about this because I have a hard time getting gifts. Yeah. Well, d- look at the card. The card okay. is so much fun. Okay. Uh, so that is a sam- what looks to be a samurai Riddler yeah. riding a horse. Yeah. And now <laughs> here is... Samurai Riddler being fought by Samurai Batman. <laughs> now here is Samurai Riddler hanging out with Samurai's Joker and Penguin. Uh, Jarrett, you're an odd duck. Uh, email me at tylerbattleshippretension.com and explain to me why you did that. Well, it's actually in the letter, I think. Oh, okay. I, I didn't read the letter. I'm assuming okay. it, it is explained in the letter, but the okay. letter's too long. For, we each got our own personalized letters. Oh, but nice. that's not all Jarrett sent us. Oh, my gosh. This is for us to, to split. I mean, by us, I mean me and you, Tyler, not yep. our guests who are sitting quietly. Okay, what do we got? We got Canadian candy. <laughs> so there's uh, six... Uh, uh, well, there's six individual items, but it's two two different things. All right. There's Smarties, yeah, which are not the lame American Smarties that we're used to. Yeah, these look pretty. But good. these are the Smarties that I've always wanted to try, which I guess are essentially M and M's. I don't. Oh, know that's exciting. True. We got some Coffee Crisp, yeah, Canadian classic, um, and we got some O Henrys. So that's looking good. I can't wait to be the only one to be eating these um, <laughs> and not uh, the uh, the assholes at the table with us. Um, Jer- so thank, thank you, Jared. Thank you very much. And I, I apologize for not being gracious enough about uh, about the uh, Blu-ray. I'm very excited yeah, about we, it. It's very nice of you. We do love uh, listeners sending us birthday presents. Obviously, you have to be an asshole not to love that. Right. Indeed. Um, but I I particularly love listeners sending us regional candies. I don't that know why, you like, yes. but I am obsessed with it. We still haven't gotten any cherry ripes from our Australian listeners. Mm. I, I mean, I was very exacting in my detail about how much I enjoyed the cherry ripe. And, uh, 
The P.O. Box, it's on the website. I'm just saying. Stop being so manipulative. If you want them, just say, I want them. I want cherry ripes. Okay. As many <laughs> as you can afford to, <laughs> as to as ship you me. Can shove into that P.O. Um, box. Which is, the funny thing is, uh, I've been, since last summer, I've been eating a lot healthier mm-hmm. and a lot, uh, you know, less of this kind of stuff. I'll still, I'll still find a cheat day and I'll cram it all in my, in my mullet, uh, mullet, my gullet at once. Oh boy. Um, I hide them in my mullet <laughs> until the cheat day. And I pull them out and I put them in my gullet. Um, so, uh, I don't like this way of talking. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much, uh, for the coffee crisps and smarties. Um, I don't think O Henry is as hard to come by here. I don't think so. No. But, um, I'm going to eat it nonetheless. Uh, so thank you, Jared. Uh, other listeners, that. would you like us to reveal the gifts you send us on air? Send us gifts. Yeah. And you can hear your name and, uh, some awkwardness of me not knowing how to take, uh, a, a, a gift, uh, a compliment, compliment in the form of a gift. So and I'm excited for these letters. I'm yeah, sure they're very nice. Uh, I'm assuming that, uh, explains uh, more about why that movie was chosen. Let's but I don't want you to read it here. <laughs> it's too long. Dear Tyler, <laughs> happy belated isn't, birthday. Isn't this my character that you're doing <laughs> right now? You know what? I'm sorry. That's on me. I apologize. All right. Okay. So, uh, by whom is this episode brought to our listeners? By whom? Okay. Is I think, this okay. You're, brought to our listeners? We're getting dangerously close to Yoda territory, but okay. Uh, so David, as, as was the case with last week, one of our sponsors is the film An Eye for Beauty, directed by, uh, once again, I believe it's Dennis Arkan, the Academy Award-winning director of The Barbarian I'm, Invasions. I'm going to say it's probably Denis. Denis, you know what? That's what I thought as well. And then a listener, I think, tweeted at me and said it's Dennis, but it's D-N-Y-S. Denis is what I thought it would be. I don't know. I'm just saying because I know who that is, he's yeah. French-Canadian. Yeah. Right? I'm just assuming it's pronounced yeah, like it's, a French person. He's a Frenchy guy, you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, he's the director of The Barbarian Invasions and Jesus in Montreal. I've seen Barbarian Invasions. I thought it was wonderful. Uh, An Eye for Beauty follows Luke, a young aspiring architect with a budding reputation. Together with his wife, Stephanie, the couple lives a seemingly perfect life in the beautiful uh, Quebec or Quebec. Right, David? That's, I believe that's right. Countryside. Uh, when Luke travels to Toronto, I want to make sure I get all this right. You know, I mean, these people are paying us to say the right words mm-hmm. like Quebec. Quebec. And so when Luke travels to Toronto uh, on a business trip, he meets and falls for Lindsay, a mysterious woman whose quiet yet captivating beauty threatens to turn his life upside down. A visually stunning drama complete with Arkan's uh, signature razor sharp wit and social commentary, an eye for beauty gazes into the perils of modern domestic life. The film is as intelligent and wry as only the best of Arkan's films can be, offering a series of contemplations on man's longstanding battle over love, sex, and marriage. And I for Beauty opens in New York on April 15th, tax day, David. Uh, you know, if you're feeling stressed, check out an Eye for Beauty. Yeah. Um, so that'll, that'll be, be it. That could uh, be your, your, your treat to yourself. You've got absolutely. your taxes. You got all your deductions itemized. Yeah. You got everything signed, sealed, and delivered. Then you check out an Eye for Beauty. Absolutely. The get yourself some, get yourself some popcorn because uh, this seems like a good popcorn Maybe type Maybe some movie. poutine. Sure. I don't think I know what that is. But as long as we're going with the French Canadian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then so that will be uh, New York, April 15th at the Lincoln Plaza Cinemas and in Los Angeles, our own Los Angeles, David, April 22nd uh, theater. I do not know. 
But uh, so okay. go to an eye for beauty film.com or you can click on the link at battleship which is always our preference. Yeah, I would definitely prefer you do it that way. Uh, so and you can find a complete list of the cities that uh, the film will be showing uh, in and you can buy your tickets there as well. So thank you very much to the uh, the filmmakers and the uh, distribution company for an eye for beauty for sponsoring the show. Very excited. Uh, I'm, to I'm see the very film. excited to be sponsored by a Denny Arcon yeah. movie. That's, that's really exciting. <laughs> do you think he knows? Do you think? think he knows that uh, what his name is being associated with oh i imagine he signed off on all of this no question about it no question yeah. about it um he's like he goes oh i hope they i hope they get to open a present on uh, one of my <laughs> sponsored episodes uh From so a canadian no less this is a very oh, I didn't I didn't know that Jarrett was uh, was Canadian. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, assuming based on the candy. Oh yeah, Canadian candy, fair enough. Um, maybe he took a maybe he took a trip there. Maybe. But I like that we're having a very Canada centric Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so does that mean we get to talk hockey? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure all four of us are eager to talk hockey. Uh, I guess you could just say stuff. The playoffs are underway. Who's winning? Well, the Blues won their first game against the Blackhawks, and that is what's important. Absolutely. Even if they won it in a ugly fashion nine minutes into overtime. Why was it ugly? It was just a really sloppy shot that oh, happened okay. to go in off of one of the oh, Blackhawks okay. defensemen. Like a guy slipped on the ice, and like the, <laughs> the vibration of his land. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I will say this, David. Along with An Eye for Beauty, we also have our long-term sponsor, Mubi. Now, David, here's the thing. There, uh, listeners might have noticed a new ad, a new Mubi ad on, the, on BattleshipRetention.com. Yeah. And the ad says, life is too short for bad films. And I like that way of thinking, especially when it comes to Mubi, because uh, what we've talked about before is that with Netflix... You know, you're scro- you're scrolling through. Most of those movies are terrible. Yeah. Uh, whereas with movie, I heard there's a documentary about Andrew Breitbart on there. There is, and Jeez it's Louise. not great. <laughs> but it, you know what? It is illuminating, but maybe not in the way they intended. <laughs> um, but uh, but that's the thing. With movie, yes, you only have thirty films, but there are thirty wonderful films. This is a, the this is curated by the uh, the people behind movie, and so uh, every every yeah. day you get a new movie. This is like you know, like rich, famous people have personal shoppers. Absolutely, this is you get to try out what it's like to be rich and famous. We yeah. have a personal film program. Right? Yeah, people who know more about movies than you do, right. more about movies than I do, or David, maybe yeah. our guests. I don't know. Almost certainly, uh, almost certainly, I I kind of get that. That vibe from them uh i think they would probably benefit a great deal from a free month What's of movie one of our guests has no idea we just took a dig at him because he <laughs> is not listening <laughs> not at all um okay so everyday movies curators introduce a new title and you have 30 days to watch it that means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy all for only four nan- 4.99 a month plus when you use their mobile apps you can download films to watch offline all right now they specifically wanted me to talk about these, and I'm very happy they did because they sound very interesting to me. Right now, you can check out two of the best Spanish films of the decade. The first is called The Future, which is a trip back to the 1980s where an all-night party becomes a fictional time capsule that quietly challenges the status quo. I like the idea of that. And this is also fascinating. The second film is, uh, is called Android's Dream. Uh, uh, Ian, Ian, or Ion, I'm not sure. I-O-N. Ion. Okay. Ion DeSosa's loose adaptation of Do Andro- Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which turns science fiction conventions on their head through humor and irony compared, this is my own 
addition to this. Uh, as much as I love Blade Runner, humor and irony is not what it has. It is a very dour film. And so mm-hmm. I like the idea of that story being told with, uh, with humor. Uh, so these films and more are available in Mubi right now. And there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Retention. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Speaking of special offers for Battleship Retention listeners, tweakedaudio.com, which already has uh, professional quality earbuds that look great and sound great at a little low price, is 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 now offering um, a, a, a deal that you may have heard me talk about before. Mm-hmm. It's pretty recent. No. Okay. <laughs> um, if, you, if you put in uh, the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off uh, that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com, pick out the earbuds that are right for you, um, and use the offer code pretension at checkout. And, uh, that's what you do at tweakedaudio.com. <laughs> I'm a little rusty. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't done this in a few weeks. Tweak, it's tweakedaudio.com offer code pretension. Okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. All right. Let's introduce so, our guests. Yes. By let's, I let's mean, wake them up and uh, shove them towards the mics. Yes, I like one, one of our guests before we started recording talked to me about how he had rushed from work to home to where he had to do some other work type stuff to shoving some food in his face to getting here uh in the nick of time and then we made him sit down and be quiet for 15 minutes (laughs) well it's a nice rest i like to see see it that way you know he can kick back relax check out his emails and it or entirely possible maybe he's listening he's listening intently to some pretty quality you know about some pretty quality products Uh that's the way i look at it i for beauty he's interested as we all are yeah uh why don't you introduce our guests okay it's uh josh long and scott and i (laughs) Jokes on you guys. I don't even like candy. Canadian or not, you can have it all. You don't like any candy. No candy. Here's the thing. <laughs> Josh still doesn't get to talk. <laughs> Josh can hold on. We're talking about how I don't like candy. This yeah, is I'm, very I'm important. I'm just going to say, good day, eh? Oh, yeah. That's right. Because it's the Canada-centric yeah. episode, so I'm going okay. to talk about in a Canadian accent so you, the entire well, you, time. You, I'm going to do Bob McKenzie. traditionally Australian greeting. <laughs> and then no, no. Added a to I'm it. doing Bob and Doug McKenzie. Oh, okay. That was their okay. thing. Good day. Now, here's what's fun about you guys being our guests. I mean, it's not the actual fact of it. It's more just what I'm only cobbling together right now. So the nature of, of today's episode is, will underline sort of the differences in you guys. But the differences don't end with politics. Watch out. Scott, you hate candy. It's true. Josh, it is your favorite thing in the world. Boy, I love it. <laughs> Josh you eats were, everything, though. I, that's true. I do eat almost anything, which you know by the Taco Bell cup that's here on the table. But as <laughs> which you, he's literally eating the Taco Bell cup. <laughs> it's like a gun <laughs> at this point. It's, it's just so. I don't What's know what they put candy? in these things. Um, mm. I like those uh, lint truffles. Those are pretty good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a cherry ripe? 
I've never, no. So now I need want to try. Although, is this like a, because I don't like like cherry cordials, if you think it's something like that. Uh, you won't like this. Um, <laughs> okay. It is uh, uh, available in Australia. It's from Cadbury, Australia. All right. It's a dark chocolate bar with a coconut cherry center. I might like that. It's, I like it's the idea amazing. that somebody will send a big box of these, but they will be addressed to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> so Boy, I hope so. <laughs> it's like, well, it loves candy. It's, you know, these are um, for me. I'm going to eat them in front of you. Like, oh, it's yeah. the best thing I've ever had. And then I, yeah, I'll be like, Josh, can you believe someone sent you half a box of <laughs> candy bars? And they, sit, it, and they did I not pack the box well either. Yeah. No. <laughs> they did not tape it up correctly. Half um, of them were unwrapped. <laughs> now, I believe I've told this story on more than one lesson, but it is a story that I find very endearing about Josh, who I normally hate. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, yes, thank you. Um, and now who I hate wouldn't? you as well, David. <laughs> that was the, um, was the do you hate, How do you hate Scott? He's all right. Damn right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, when Jen and I got back from Switzerland, uh, we had met with a listener who uh, gave us some candy to give to David and to Josh. And uh, Josh's wife, Megan, uh, picked us up at the airport and then dropped us off at home. And I said, oh, here, give Josh this candy. And Megan said, it's like, oh, he's going to be happy about this. He was actually uh, frustrated earlier today because there was there was no candy in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And that's it happens. That's you know? who you are. Yeah. Like if there's no candy in the house, you're in a bad mood. And there's only it's, so much money in our candy budget. <laughs> yeah, that's what I that's what I meant cuz to me candy cuz I, I don't have that much of a sweet tooth except when it comes for some reason to candies from foreign lands which <laughs> makes it taste different to me. But candy to me is an impulse buy. Mm. But you like have candy on your grocery list cuz you want to have well, candy stockpiled. Yeah, maybe. The thing I, I would, if it was up to me, I would have something sweet after every meal. So if I have like cake or ice cream around or something, then I don't need candy. But so you'll settle for cake and ice right. cream. No, no, I, I like those <laughs> as much, if not more. There, uh, there have been times when uh, Josh and I will be uh, at his place. We're about to watch a movie. He'll pour himself like a, ni- a nice whiskey and then have like cookies. It is, it's it. not unusual for me to have a glass of scotch and a handful of candy <laughs> while I watch a movie. I, to me, that seems like like some peanut M and M's and 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 a ten year old scotch. That sounds like a great mix. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I like peanut M and M's. Are a not literally. I don't put them in the scotch. Right. Oh man, it's like a like a blizzard, <laughs> like an alcohol blizzard. <laughs> but M and M's melt in your mouth, not in your drink. Scotch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do like peanut M and M's. Uh, I will also often go for an almond Snickers if that's if that's available. Ugh. Not every place has them. No, thank you. Eh, I like them. All right. Uh, Scott, favorite candy? Then we can get into that. I episode. don't like candy. Are you yes, paying attention? You what's your favorite of the ones you don't like? <laughs> I hate all of them. <laughs> Literally. He hates all of them equally, like his do children. Like, do you, Oh, my. Do you like any? Uh, do you like anything sweet? Do you like yeah, desserts? I like a good snickerdoodle. I like a good vanilla ice cream. And uh, <laughs> that's about the end of it. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the color white from time to time. There's some brown in that snickerdoodle. <laughs> but gotta make it with little. brown sugar. Oh my! Uh, I like a good vanilla ice cream. Admittedly, I will say that there is such a thing as like really good like vanilla bean ice cream. Yeah, True. that's um, what I get. I get Tillamook vanilla bean ice cream. Keep it in my freezer year round. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Sticking to those Oregon roots. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> Tim's Cascade potato chips and Tillamook ice cream. <laughs> Nothing better. That, that does sound pretty good, actually. All right. Well, um, <laughs> can we go back to talking about movie, please? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys are turning me off here. Yeah, Scott definitely drained the energy out of the candy conversation. <laughs> uh, this is fun. We're all a little bit punchy, I think. You and I have been recording for two hours. Yeah, that's and true. And then Josh just got here from work, and Scott, well, it's just kind of a... Well, Scott's all I hopped, hopped, up, today. On, uh, all hopped up on yeah. water. That's true. Uh, yeah. I like a good water. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Not too cold. Definitely not warm. But uh, Scott, let's <laughs> stick with you for a second. Hello. As far as I know, the genesis of this episode came from you, right? Four years ago. Is that was right? It four years oh, ago. Wow. It was four years ago because it was the, the last election, election, election cycle. Okay. And we we're talking about how we should do it before that, but I think we we're all a little too hopped up about that election. <laughs> and this year, I think we all just hate it. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I'm, I've been dreading this episode a little bit because I am a little worn out on anything approaching the subject of <laughs> Well, I can't imagine any of us passionately saying, you know who I'm in favor of is John Kasich. Like, no one's going to say that. <laughs> you know, uh, no one has. I don't have a lot of dogs in this fight this time around. Yeah, um, I'm not going to get into it. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. I, I, I have an ideal uh, ticket in my head. Oh, um, watch out. That a I, whole ticket. Yeah, yeah. It's Clinton Franken. Clinton Franken 2016. Oh. That's what I want. I have heard that Franken theory floated about. We'll that's see. interesting. Yeah. Did you just say Frankenberry? I said Franken theory. <laughs> Franken theory, which I like to think is cobbled together from other theories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so what are we talking about today, Scott? Okay. Well, four years ago... I can't remember. This came up in the email chain with all of us. Um, and I think Tyler, something Tyler said on the show, actually, about how the often said thing about how Hollywood only produces liberal movies. I've long felt that to be shaky. And especially around the time I suggested this topic four years ago, I was getting more into movies from the 1930s, which are really like stridently liberal <laughs> movies. And so viewing those next to the things I was seeing in newer release, the difference was, seemed pretty striking. And I think it's changed somewhat in four years, but I still think it's an interesting thing to talk about whether Hollywood on the whole skews conservative or liberal and how that expresses itself in individual movies. And I'll say two things off the top as uh, disclaimers. Uh, one is that even though I certainly would consider myself a liberal, I do find that conservative movies tend to be more interesting. Um, at least of late, they tend to have more interior conflicts about them. And there are any number of snide remarks I can make about why that is. But uh, the result, I think, still is that movies that are definitely come out as conservative movies tend to be more interesting than movies that are, like I said, stridently liberal. Do you think that's particularly true recently? Yes. Like last few years. Interesting. Hmm. I, I just wonder if that's because there's a Democrat in the White House. That could be. Uh, liberals are maybe. Wait, there's a Democrat in the White House? <laughs> maybe liberals are a little more uh, in a state of comfort and are less, like you said, self reflective. Um, where, whereas conservatives at this point uh, are. Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? They're looking up at someone else uh, in power and uh, have more to uh, uh, to reflect upon because of that. At least they're making mm -hmm. better movies out of it than the liberals did during the Bush era, though. Yes, if you think about all the really political movies during the Bush era, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's give me some examples. Well, hang on. My second disclaimer <laughs> was going to be, I was reading a piece by David Bordwell that he wrote about The Dark Knight, which I think at the time a lot of people were talking about is a very conservative movie. And he pointed out that Hollywood movies tend to be purposely ambiguous that you can read into them 
any number of viewpoints and that way they appeal to more people. Mm-hmm. I think there's some truth to that, but as an auteurist, I also think that the movies will in- inevitably reflect some sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Okay. Because I, I feel like, um, I, I feel like that happens in any kind of art because yeah. I, I think most artists are trying to convey a message in some way or, or other, or else they wouldn't be creating art or even and, accidentally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think both can happen. Yeah. And I think because everyone has a worldview, whether they realize it or not, I think it always has to seep into your work when it comes to artistic products. Yeah. If you're, if you're genuinely trying to communicate something to an audience, something from inside you, it's going to be informed. Even if you don't think it has anything to do with your politics or spiritual beliefs or philosophy or whatever it is, you know, like I, I, I personally cannot compartmentalize like that. If I'm going to, yeah. if I was going to make a movie about my marriage, that's absolutely going to be informed by certainly my Christian values mm-hmm. and probably my political values as well. Um, and yeah. you know, and I feel like something that David and I have said on the show many times is that like there's nothing wrong with that. Like people act as though that's some kind of terrible thing. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with that. And we, it's something that I feel like as critics, but also as filmmakers, just embrace that. Like, yes, you have a point of view. And if you want to communicate, there's nothing wrong with trying to communicate something either overtly or covertly. Well, covertly sounds a little bit insidious, <laughs> but, uh, but one could, in in terms of to use a, a you know to go back to concepts of like uh, the Bible and stuff like that, uh, a parable is like a message that is being hidden in a story, but it definitely has a message. But some people might look at it and say like, oh, that was a really good story. And so, as opposed to just coming out and saying, here's what I think. Um, so yeah. Uh, to transition into the the episode itself, I will say that in the four years since I made that comment, I, I, I do tend, I will say this, I do tend to hedge my bets. All if right. I had to guess, I would say at the time, I did not say all movies, all Hollywood movies. I can't movies. remember. Um, I, Jen will often make fun of me for like when I am filling out like a questionnaire, if there's an always or never, I will never, the one thing I'll never do is that, um, except occasionally I do. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, yeah, she thinks it's very adorable. Um, but it's just like, it just seems very strong. Yeah. There's always, yeah. yeah, Just like, uh, and I will often choose the middle option, just completely (laughs) middle of the road, neutral. The thing that is not helpful to anybody at all. Mm. Um, so, so when you're, when you're like, uh, about to give blood and is asking you, uh, how recently you've visited Africa or had sex with another man. <laughs> You're like, I'm not ruling out the possibility that I might have done that in the yeah. past five years. Look, I sleep a lot. Yeah. Things could happen. Yeah. You know, people sleepwalk. They do all kinds of things. They board a, a plane to Africa uh, and on the plane have sex with multiple men. Um, Stranger things have happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, it's 2016. So, uh, so what I will say is, is with this topic in my in my brain for four years i would say pretty on a very far back burner but it is it was always there right um and as i became more politically invested in you know certain candidates or certain arguments or whatever and just kind of paying more attention to that um and you know watching movies with that in mind i think i do i I definitely i'm coming into this episode not feeling quite as firm uh, certainly not definitive, but not quite as firm as I was at the time, uh, especially because of the movies that have been released since then. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's interesting that you, you made the distinction that Hollywood movies especially will 
have a certain whether they achieve it or not, they will try to have an ambiguity because they want to try to appeal to a, as large a market as possible. Um, and so, that's that actually is something I wanted to okay. to, to bring up uh, the idea that um, in terms of hedging your hedging your bets, not me hedging my bets, but Hollywood hedging, hedging their bets. I feel like if you look at political contributions and political activism among uh, um, major Hollywood players, a lot of it is a lot of them are liberals or sure. Democrats uh, at least, um, but. I do also think that a lot of conservative values come across in Hollywood movies, and I wonder if that's a bit of um, if they're wearing a conservative mask. If it's a if it's a pandering to to middle America. I mean, Judd Apatow, for instance, is um, a Democrat. Um, he's um, uh, openly, uh, you know, a pro Obama and everything, but he couldn't even bring his characters to use the word abortion yeah. in Knocked Up, and I wonder if that's. I don't know if that reflects um, not necessarily his own viewpoint, but how he thinks of the of certain parts of America, and and because uh, I tend to agree with Scott that I think a lot of movies, especially Hollywood movies, do um, display conservative values. But I wonder how many how many of them are uh, genuine and how many of them are play acting. <laughs> It's it's tough to know. Um, well, I think little touches like that are kind of play acting, but I think the overall form of Judd Apatow's movies, which are very family family values, and especially in the case of Trainwreck, like sort of shaming certain lifestyles, I think that stuff is stuff he really believes. Yeah, that's. I think I think you're right. Now, that I, makes him uh, not my kind of not my kind of liberal. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Trainwreck, so what are you saying that the film shames certain values? The yeah. Film? Okay. Um, because I, I, certain know, I, lifestyles. I, I, I mean, I don't want to get into criticism of the film, uh, particularly, but I don't know that, um, I agree that it shames them so much as it makes assumptions about what it is, about what a healthy romantic life or healthy relationship is, mm-hmm. um, that are at least traditional, if not yeah. outright mm-hmm. conservative. Traditional is the word I was thinking of with Judd Apatow. Like he just, he might have characters who are, who do outlandish things or, or, uh, you know, like kind of just play the field, but eventually they will wind up mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. much more conventional and traditional, uh, mindset. Yeah, that's well, why one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time is four weddings and a funeral, which ends with the two characters vowing not to get married <laughs> ever. Uh, I, I like that. Well, it, I think one probably important aspect to have in the conversation is in this whole conversation is, um, is kind of about like what are, I, I guess you can look differently at what, how we can, whether we consider something a conservative or a liberal value. For instance, like family values, uh, if you were going to pick one or the other, you'd say that's more conservative. But what we kind of traditionally think of as family values are not necessarily anti-liberal things, I don't think. Like, I feel like a lot of that stuff, while it doesn't have a particularly progressive bent, I don't know that it's anti-liberal in most cases. I'd say in some cases it is. Like, if you'd say, like, uh, the idea that a one man, one woman nuclear family is the ideal and better than everything else. Yeah, that's, that's a specific con- get into conservative value here. The issue of defining what is meant by family values, because I think to a lot of liberals, um, that's a very loaded term. That is a, uh, like a, a sort of, um, subtle way of, uh, expressing homophobia right. in a lot of ways, which right. is not, I don't think that's what you mean when you say it. Right. And I don't think, what, and I don't don't think that's what you guys are talking about when you're saying that Judd Apatow espouses right. the tradi- traditional family values. Right. No, but I think the sort of monogamy that we were talking about earlier 
that he centers his characters towards and turning away from drugs, turning away from alcohol and seeing those things as necessarily in abundance and not like possible in moderation. That's kind of sort of the conservatism I see more in appetizer movies. And I do, let me, okay. So let me put this out there. The, this, there's the, uh, Maybe it's not as common an adage as I think it is because I read certain uh, columnists and stuff like that. But there's the uh, the idea that if you're not, if you're not, I think I've heard it in, in various terms. Like if you're not anti-establishment w- when you're younger than thirty, you have no heart. But if you haven't turned establishment uh, after thirty, you have no brain. Yeah, because um, Winston Churchill. Yeah, and oh, it's, okay. It's it much it, more pithy when he says. Yeah. That. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he said. I think it's uh, show me a young conservative, and I'll show you a man with no uh, heart, and show me an old liberal, and I'll show you a man with no brain. Okay, all right. I think it's something. It's yeah. closer to that. Okay. Um, and so in those in those terms, Judd Apatow does make movies about people getting older, and people embracing adulthood and that means for a lot of people it means i mean i know a number of people some at this table that uh used to use drugs a lot more often and then they got older and now they're married and have a job you know i'm talking about you david yeah um, but hey, like, i had a job <laughs> <laughs> well it's just like and I'm, I'm not like i don't think i've said anything judgmental but like there no. is just this 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 gen- the the concept of settling down as you get older and not engaging in the behavior. I just want the I'm listeners to know s- I still know how to party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you outlamed my conversation about uh, cookies and ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but no, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. That like uh, the traditional idea of growing up and settling down. Mm-hmm. Um, or I, I should say more the, I think maybe the overall more common experience of growing up and settling down looks like that. Mm-hmm. Looks like monogamy. Looks like less often uh, drugs and alcohol, whatever that sort of thing. So I don't know that it's necessarily. I, I think you could argue that a lot of those movies are not necessarily saying this is the way to go, whereas they're more saying this is your experience and that's okay. Yeah, does that make sense? Just like the ad campaign for This Is 40, which was everyone's story. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. (laughs) And I didn't actually, I actually did not see that one. I'm curious to know how that fits into this conversation, This Is 40. And I'm probably not totally great to talk about Judd Apatow stuff because I only know his TV. I have not seen any of his films. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, This Is 40 is much more, I think, economically conservative than anything. It just takes for granted that people have a certain amount of disposable income, even when they're complaining constantly about money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it literally has a scene where it's a section of the movie. It's like, God, we're really having a lot of money problems. Let's go (laughs) stay at a fancy hotel in wine country and talk about it. (laughs) And get endless amounts of room service. Yeah. uh, And that's not played for laughs. That's just not really. Yeah. It's just clueless. Uh, uh, about that. Yeah. And that's probably a, just a disconnect between like, Oh, John, John Apatow is now very successful and d- may not remember what it was like <laughs> yeah. to um, not have yeah. this amount of money. But does that, Scott, you and I as, as liberals see it that way, but there is also something that's been said, um, uh, endlessly about, about Americans is that, um, who, who said that, um, I can't remember. Someone said there will never be a workers' movement uh, in, in America, like in Russia, because the poor in America don't see themselves as a class, but right. as temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Right. I believe that was Churchill. Uh, it wasn't not, Churchill, okay. but I can't remember who it was. Um, 
Yakov Smirnov. <laughs> um, what a country. That's the end of that quote. <laughs> but because I, I think I, this is something I, when I watch movies that I watched when I was a kid, I didn't notice when I was a kid how rich all the characters were. Mm-hmm, right. But now when I watch Home Alone or when I watch when we did the horror marathon commentary, I watch Scream and it's like, oh, these are all rich kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wonder if that's just uh, an aspirational thing on the part of uh, Hollywood to show uh, Americans the way they would like to think of themselves. Well, this is part of the crux of my argument in that Hollywood for all it might champion certain social causes is very much economically conservative. And it's incredibly rare to see a positive portrait of a lower class worker in a Hollywood film. In fact, most of the time they'll go out of the way to make fun of somebody who works at Seven Eleven, hmm. works at a gas station or, you know, even just works in retail, which isn't like necessarily a lower class job, but they just can't, they'll take any excuse to mock people in that position. Um, whereas I, like I was saying earlier, the very sharp difference is something in the thirties is they took for granted that most of their audience was working class and they treated them in those positions with respect and with that lifestyle as a hard lifestyle, which it is. And you do not see in Hollywood movies at all these days, any sort of economic liberalism. I will also, I will say this though. How, how many movies have you seen where Period. the how many movies? Yeah, well, it's more of a question mark. David, but uh, uh, yeah, let's all go to Letterboxd. How many movies have you seen? Period. How many? How many movies have you seen? Um, Still, yeah, that's I, that's I, more I, of an exclamation point. Um, but how many movies have you seen in which a father and husband works too much, often in a corporate job, and his the lesson he needs to learn is to stop being so damn greedy and is to stop being so business oriented and to get now he's still getting back to his family but the assumption is because he's working in this white collar job mm-hmm. that's why he his priorities are out of whack i don't think you will ever find that in a blue collar depiction uh no but i think those are also un- irresponsible in a lot of other ways i mean oh sure hmm. they never follow up on the consequences of him scaling back on work <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah no question about it i mean if he's throwing wondering, his cell phone into a yeah lake, that old movie trope and it's like oh no all my contacts right <laughs> i'm gonna lose my job and my family's gonna starve then I i'll mean, have to work like at 7-eleven like some kind of, <laughs> like some kind of loser <laughs> it'd be great if they did if he's willing to accept those consequences that'd be interesting to explore but those movies are just like patently ridiculous they are but at the same time in the same way that uh you know we tend not to see happily ever after we just see that like i would love to see the consequences right. uh, one of my favorite things in 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 movies uh i say movies that it happens all the time in certain movies you'll see somebody like have like uh, an emotional outburst and they like break something and then there's a pause <laughs> and it's like i gotta clean this up now right you know and i love that because that actually is is reality but you know so many movies end with happily ever after and it's like okay this guy has foregone his corporate mentality which is inherently corrosive and now he's going to be like the rest of us and more than anything as i was making notes about this i do think that uh the anti-corporate mentality that you will find in a lot of films, both ho- big Hollywood and like independent, uh, that is, and not to imply that, you know, if you're a, if you're you know conservative, that you're in favor of corporations, you just don't tend not to demonize them. Um, I feel like that more, as I was making notes of like individual issues that I, that I have noted, um, 
anti-corporate is maybe the biggest one that I saw. Yeah, I wonder if that comes about because so many people who work in the film industry are really just freelancers and don't work for anybody. Mm, that's actually, true. Even though, I mean, most of the time they're working for corporations, but yeah. they don't. You oh, know, we all work for paycheck. Viacom. <laughs> <laughs> um, they don't get a steady paycheck or anything, so they yeah. Yeah. view those things at a distance and still have that like teenage mentality towards well, that kind of stuff. I also and, wanted to go back to Scott's point about um, generally trying to be ambiguous or trying not sure. to go too far like yeah and a, a lot of action thrillers have the corporate conspiracy as the bad guy but i would say just as many have the uh corrupt government uh, yeah that was a topic you know, I or, to bring or up. government overreach mm-hmm. uh, as as the bad guy and i do feel like they're just overall they're kind of bouncing each other out <laughs> except the government overreach is almost a, always a function of national security which tends to be more of a conservative issue yeah, I guess in recent years, I feel like yeah, most, most with, of the times, yeah, more in recent years, when you see something that's a government conspiracy, it's like government involved with some kind of uh, military industrial complex. It's like the two hand in hand. There's that. But you also get scientific research overextending itself. Mm-hmm. I guess that's true. I personally, I, I love movies like Brazil, which shows like, <laughs> yes, that's big government. Not not in the sense like the the. That's the real evil of big big government is like the banality of bureaucracy <laughs> and the fact that we all have to just fill out these forms constantly. You know, I think that's uh, a wonderful. And, and you're you hate that because you're hemming and hawing over what thing to pick. <laughs> and you're filling like, out your form. Uh, uh, Caucasian, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> male, female. Don't make me choose. Not in 2016. Uh, I'm going to keep bringing the the, the year up uh, as opposed to 2012 when we first thought of this topic. Um, but yeah, I I do. I do want to explore this notion that we've already kind of talked about, which is, and let's stick with Hollywood for the time being, and then we'll move into like more independent stuff. Um, Because you have conflicting ideas. You have the people that make the movies who are probably liberal. Then you have the people that finance the movies who are probably not, not, not necessarily probably, but it could go either way. Whereas the people making the movies, the actors, the directors are, I'd say there's a 90% chance that they are liberal. And so I, I'm always curious to know, and I'm, I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Cause I don't even really know what I think about this. Um, which of those wins out? I feel like it would have to be the, the studio, right? I think it depends on what specific viewpoint they're trying to express. I mean, I think most people in studio jobs are socially liberal. So those, tend not to be even questioned as they go through a uh, film. Uh, but like I said, I think in terms of economics, I think in terms of uh, depictions of war, I think in terms of depictions of like individual liberty, I think those things tend to win out in the conservative arena. What would you, can, what would you say is a movie with a liberal depiction of war? Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't uh, recently? Uh, just whatever. In general. Um, Sam Fuller did some good war movies back in the day of just kind of showing that there are no really good options. Right. Um, the big red one. I've still never seen that. I've seen a couple of fifties ones though. I mean, platoon is pretty, is it, I think a very liberal depiction of war where it's just like, no one gets out of this clean. Like every, I guess Vietnam pretty much any Vietnam. Films. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, uh, the John Wayne. The Green one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, okay. to one, to some extent, I think uh, American Sniper has a bit of this because in that movie they take as a general assumption that the war in Iraq was a good thing and was done for the right reasons, but it still shows that it empties this guy out and has no larger benefit, and that 
all his accomplishments are really for naught. I think you are now the official, uh, officially the first person to ever say there's a slight hint of liberalism. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> no, I just think American Sniper is a really conflicted movie, and I, I mean, I love it um, for that reason. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I believe it was. Uh, I don't think this is the last time you were on the show, Josh, but when you were on to talk about conservatism in like in the way we approach films and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, uh, I think it was that as a topic was brought on by both liberal and conservative responses to that film. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, with, you know, with conservatives basically excluding every other possible film that could ever exist. Mm-hmm. And then liberals saying, uh, it's a uh, fascistic, I'm not speaking about you, David, you have your own reasons for disliking American sniper and they're legit, I think. Um, and I myself am not a huge fan of it. I don't, I, I don't even remember. I don't have a great memory <laughs> for movies. I didn't like, I like really, I think that oh, I think that's mentally healthy of me. That probably is. <laughs> I wish I had less, you know, as it is, demolition is staying with me yeah. uh, to the, to an extent that I am uh, upset by. Well, going back a little bit to this thing you were saying earlier about who sort of wins out in, uh, in the way a movie is depicted. It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting to think like even within the, who makes the movie thing, there's differences because we were talking earlier about like people working for corporations or whatever. Uh, the writer is most, likely the person or is the person who is least likely to uh be positively invested in a corporation probably <laughs> that's true. so th- since that's where the building blocks of the story have to start it seems like it would be often that the case is uh, it, w- it would be less often that the case is <laughs> the movie's story is about corporations are great here's why yeah um but at the same time, on really big movies, the studios give them a lot of notes. Right. And, and the directors give them a lot of notes. And, and th- the writer has very little to say. <laughs> I th- and I think that's true. And I think so the studio ones, the biggest studio yeah. ones, the big tentpole polls are the ones that have the least, uh, that most are trying to be everything to everybody and try not to really have, try to be ambiguous like we talked about mm-hmm. earlier. Um, I feel like that's where you see that the most. And I feel like that's one of the reasons I find those movies less interesting is because they don't have a lot of... Uh, um, they don't care about a lot, if that makes sense. I mean, literally, they like don't they, have a huge point of view, right? It's um, just kind of like, oh, what, man, what back, do you like? Me too. Go back to the episode we did in blockbusters. I think a lot of modern blockbusters have very strong points of view. Oh, mm. hang on one second. I was uh, trying to summarize what Josh was saying. Ah, I, see. I, I don't love all blockbusters, but I do tend to. But of course, the ones I like are the ones you hate. I like the the Marvel films, you know, which are boring and conservative. But I do, <laughs> but I do want to. They're super awesome. But the uh, I do want to actually go back to the Dark Knight trilogy because yeah. that is interesting, um, and that is clearly like these are money makers. Let Christopher Nolan do whatever he wants. Yeah, and. And Josh, this is why I know that you're not interested, but this is why I want you to see Dark Knight Rises. I know, I still haven't really, seen the Dark Knight Rises. From a, it's a political terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good, but in this conversation, yeah, I it's find very it relevant. Um, and I think especially, like with Batman Begins, you didn't have a lot of it because no. it wasn't the moneymaker yet. Yeah. Then it made a lot of money, and then it's just the studio said, do whatever you want with the Dark Knight. And then you have all these fascinating ideas of like, and it came out in 2008, so like right at the end of, of George W. Bush. So you have, you know, the Joker being an ideological enemy who is not afraid of death and is going and to is do, called a terrorist in the movie. Yeah, and then you have a guy who is willing to do things that aren't totally legal in order to fight this guy. And by the way, his building has a giant W on it. Um, <laughs> and, and he's he, he, and he's okay with looking like the bad guy in order to achieve those ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
then you also have a guy who who is said to be like the idealist, like the the white knight, the guy right. who's going to who who's going to to fix everything. And this is right around two thousand eight. I don't know if they made this. I don't know if if Obama was like prominent enough for this to be him, or it could just be whoever the next person. Yeah, is. just seeing that yeah. on the horizon. Yeah, um, and the fact that like yeah. There's no such thing as a white knight in this situation. Yeah. Um, but then you, then with uh, Dark Knight Rises, I mean, you look at some of the stuff that Bane says. I mean, it's right out of like an Occupy Wall Street, and that was two, 2012. Oh yeah, big time. So, they filmed some stuff around Occupy Wall Street. In fact, it was yeah. like right up in it. Um, but I think, I mean, that movie is just the Dark Knight is a great movie, but the Dark Knight Rises is just so messy. It is a mess with everything about it, including its politics, there which are, are just so like. <laughs> It's every dismissive comment you ever heard about Occupy Wall Street, just like jammed into a movie. And it is, yeah, and it's it's a film that uh, I can't necessarily dismiss it because the messiness of it is intriguing to me. It almost feels as to me, and maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but it almost feels like Christopher Nolan is actively trying to work out things while making the film. You think? Both philosophically and maybe even narratively. See, I find it's just such a content satisfied smug movie oh wow you think so yeah i mean i haven't seen it since theaters and i don't really particularly want to see it again but i've seen it a couple of times i own it i'm probably going to watch it again at some point in my life um all three hours all three hours that's the thing i can't have you know it's like i don't want to take the time off work uh, <laughs> to, to see it. i don't have those vacation days but nonetheless like you know and i and i i know that you uh enjoy batman versus superman mm-hmm. um do you feel like there's a I feel like they probably let Zack Snyder do whatever they want. It really feels that way with that Um, for good or ill. um, Do you feel like that has a point of view politically? I've been trying to work that out because I, it feels like it's very much in conflict because it's about, you know, this self-made man who's rising up against uh, someone with unbridled power who is an alien (laughs) um, who he feels is, uh, causing more damage than good in his quest to do good. Yeah. Um, which I think there's a reading there, but at the same time, the movie then wraps around and is like, you want to see what unbridled power looks like. Yeah. We've got this doomsday monster for you. Um, and so it comes around as portraying Superman as quite uh, positive, I think by the end. Yeah. Um, so if there is the Luther character who is also, he also like doomsday comes is unbridled power, but it comes out of a guy who is literally above the government for all intents and purposes. And he's a corporate entity. Yeah, who's on power gets away from him, I think. That's that's the thing. I would have liked to see more of that. I would have liked to see him realizing what have I done by creating this doomsday monster. Yeah, I mean, that's a messy character. There's a lot. I like the movie, but there's a lot on the screenplay level that's pretty rough. That's true. Um, So anyway, it's too conflicted for me to say if there's a strict point of view. I don't know that there might be at all. Yeah. Um, and we can move away from blockbusters because we are turning up half the table. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, uh, not blockbusters in general. Just I haven't seen this uh, Batman v Superman. Well, the other franchise I wanted to bring up is the Hunger Games franchise, which mm. I despise on pretty much every level, and was so bored by the last movie that I just wanted to fall asleep. Um, but that's a movie that somehow tricked the most educated generation we've ever seen into thinking it was politically oppressant at all. Um, but to me, it's like, well, don't just throw that out there. Yeah, explain what like you mean a, by quite that. a claim. Well, I feel like around the time of the first one, you had all these people saying that it had this like really strong point of view about like rising up against oppressors or whatever. Uh, do you guys remember this at all? Am I making this up? No, I, I, I mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. And by the end, I mean, it's not, 
interesting politically. And by the end, it is incredibly conservative in showing that any sort of collective effort will just end up being a bunch of infighting and result in nothing. <laughs> I think politically, the thing that that hit me most about the whole series is the is the way governments and society in general can you will use optics to do what they want from a political from sorry from a propaganda standpoint or whatever like in the in 3.1 when you have like Philip Seymour Hoffman like orchestrating all of these little videos Mm -hmm. that to me and then just what the games are in general which is getting people focused on this thing that is still important and people are going to die but it's so so much smaller than their overall problems that to me is where the where the film series is at its most consistent and where it actually i think does make does have a specific point of view but as far as like the idea of how the government works and and what they're trying to rise up against and speaking of like a certain type of messy philosophy this idea of oh well there's this What's her name? Coin, the Julianne Moore character. Um, and she's like, <laughs> oh, but so. she's also kind of a fascist. She also manipulates. I like the idea of that in general, but I feel like it also is a little bit half-baked in the film. Apparently it's developed I, more in the, in the books. I, uh, a little bit more. I've, I've read the books. I don't think like there's a whole lot more. To me, it seems like it's just kind of a simplistic idea about political power plays and that you know one oppressor can be traded for another oppressor. Yeah. And I feel like that's... That's not that interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I've, it, if that's his most interesting thing. Right. And I think that kind of is. Like, I, there, there's more interesting stuff in the very first one, I think, both in the book and the movie. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of depth to it, but it's. I feel like it's interesting in the same way that uh, Battle Royale is interesting, and that movie has more guts to it, literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, as a bigger fan of The Hunger Games, certainly than Scott, uh, although I agree the last one was a, a real letdown. Um, probably more of a letdown for me because I liked the series <laughs> up until that point, and then I thought the last one was pretty terrible. But I agree with Tyler that I think the most interesting thing is about uh, the optics, as you put it, in the way that um, the that uh, wars or idealistic wars are fought uh, in media more than, uh, or at least the 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 bigger battles are happening in the media than are actually happening, uh, on the ground. But, um, what I do like in this, maybe this is a, you know, a Pollyanna ish of the movies and of me, but, um, I kind of like the idea that Katniss is the ideal leader of any political movement because she doesn't want to be because she's just a good person and people rally around her. But, she doesn't want to be snow or coin. She, and and I find that, um, as someone who is inherently distrustful of any presidential candidate, because I think wanting to be president (laughs) is suspect. (laughs) Um, I, I find that, um, uh, that resonates with me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You don't have any thoughts on that? No, I hadn't heard that particular reading on it. Um, I still think they're bad movies. (laughs) I, I think it's, that I think that aspect of Katniss works really well in the first and second film, but after a while, it just it sort of it feels like they're hitting the same note over and over. And she's like, "Okay, Katniss, yeah, I understand you don't want to be this. It's been a while now. You are this. I'm sorry, but that's the way it works." Yeah. Um, but and, and that makes sense that they would just kind of keep keep going to the same well over and over again because it's 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 for young adults. Like it it's, doesn't need to have that depth to keep its its readers invested, its target readers. Just anyway. a bunch of dumb kids. <laughs> you know, it does seem like I'm 
joking, of course. Uh, it does. It definitely does seem like uh, it's almost like gateway sci-fi. Um, yeah. And when you look at so many others, uh, when I was when I was making my my list here, and I was uh, looking at uh, anti corporate. Uh, unsurprisingly, I arrived at a lot of sci-fi. Um, <laughs> The Alien series, the Resident Evil series, Blade Runner, RoboCop, ro- uh, Rollerball, um, and it just the idea of like companies just eventually owning everything, and the governments aren't even a thing anymore. It's basically just corporations running everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I should say I love most of these films. Oh, yeah. I love the Aliens films. I love RoboCop. Uh, Rollerball is ham-fisted. You know, <laughs> I didn't see the new one. I'm talking about the 70s. I didn't one. see the new one either. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not a fan of Norman Jewison's uh, Rollerball. Yeah. Neither am I. But that proved really controversial when I put it out. It turns, turns out there's a lot of fans of that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it, that that movie. I haven't seen it, but it seems just kind of like edgy genre enough for there to be a whole bunch of rabid fans. Of it. Yeah. In the same way that, like, I okay, so. Um, I remember when the walking dead came out, uh, as a, as a TV show and I was reading a lot of TV critics saying like, you know, what's interesting about this, (laughs) (laughs) the real threat, it's not the zombies. It's like the other people. And it's like, and there's such a, there's a fatalism to it. So it's like when they're walking around, it's like, they're the walking. It's like, yeah, asshole. Yeah. (laughs) I know that this is new to you TV people, (laughs) but we've been, we movie guys have been dealing with this for 40 fucking years, you know? And just like, and in that same way, it's just like, you know, what's interesting about this hunger games thing or about, or about uh, rollerballs. Like, these corporations <laughs> they're getting pretty powerful you know and just um, like, yeah okay we've we've seen this before i, I imagine it would say, resonate more in the 70s uh, but probably yes real yeah. quick i love this dumb guy voice yeah <laughs> i'm a big fan <laughs> i think that should be your new go-to dumb guy voice. let's retire the hick yeah. dumb guy you know what <laughs> the guy who he really stumbled on so he thinks he's like woodward's he first so excited about discovering something that everyone else has known for decades <laughs> but he's still expressing calmly enough to be yeah. like, this is profound. Well, Guys. I find I have to drop my voice because right. it's like someone could be listening. <laughs> <laughs> Apple controls your phone. Oh, no question. No question. Oh boy. Lots of fun. Um, so, okay. Uh, now did, uh, I was going to jump into my list, but I think before what? I do that, I was going to throw to Scott. Yeah. Uh, for what? Well, what are you going to throw it into? I wasn't going to throw it in. I, did, I had a point to make. Make your point. Not connected to what we were just saying, but okay, something I was thinking of earlier. With the tying it into, it's 2016 to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an election year. Um, and this is, to go back to, I guess it is going back to something Scott said about um, uh, liberal, or the writers and stuff being, being liberal, at least socially, but maybe not uh, economically. I think, the i think the in my experience i think the average american liberal is more liberal than the face of american liberalism if you know what i mean um i think i get there and so that's why we get movies that are like yeah i guess that's liberal but i guess i guess what i'm saying is the hollywood movies that are liberal are hillary clinton right the average liberal is more Bernie Sanders. And that's mm-hmm. why you've got so much passion for Bernie Sanders now, because he is closer to what I think the average liberal actually thinks. And I think, uh, the movie version of that would be, um, obvious child is a movie that a is great. 
it's really well made. But I also think part of the reason so many people like myself rallied around it is because it actually showed the the issue of abortion the way that liberals actually talk about it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or actually think about it that it's uh, that it's not as big a deal as we're making out of it, that, that it's a a fact of life and that most people have had it. And so I I feel like there's this shadow centrist version of liberalism and conservatism that's playing out in Hollywood movies that doesn't, doesn't represent uh, the actual day-to-day experiences of American liberals or probably conservatives. This is how I feel about um, whenever a positive depiction of a Christian is there. Uh, in in TV or film, and I recognize that I'm now I'm dipping into you know depictions of religion as opposed to politics. But when we're dealing with like Christians, that tends to be synonymous with conservative, not always, but it kind of is culturally. Um, although I guess we're moving away from that a little bit now, which is probably a good thing. Um, but uh, it is a thing that always bothers me is whenever a film establishes that no 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 this is a good Christian. <laughs> They're good because, A, they say that, uh, yeah, I'm not. It's like, I'm a Christian, but whatever you want to do is fine. I actually don't believe this, uh, or at least not in any kind of uh, definitive way. Relativism is ultimately what it's all about. And that's the thing. If somebody believes that, that's fine. But the vast majority of Christians I know don't think that. Like, people believe things because they think they're right. You know, and and I think Hollywood is not comfortable with that level of uh, definitive uh, statement uh, about something unprovable like religion or philosophy or something like that. And so they're like, okay, so we, and, and the idea of somebody saying, well, I know definitively what, what there is after death or whatever it is you want to, however you want to characterize religion. Uh, it's like, well, we, that could turn people off. Well, never mind the fact that the, a, a huge portion of the movie going audience are, Christian or at least Christian sympathizers and probably do think that or think that in their own way, which is, well, I think that my religion is absolutely true. Like this idea of like, of like a relativistic viewpoint, I think I get a lot more coming out of Hollywood than I do from anybody else. Um, and I think it's because they're too afraid to, I think they're afraid to offend anybody. And in doing so, they wind up serving up this completely milquetoast, noncommittal, uh, depiction of something and they say and that's when they say oh that's that's the good one and it's like have you ever even met a Christian <laughs> I don't know it's and I don't mean to say that every Christian needs to be like me or every Christian that I know is like me but I will say that a good portion of them at the very least believe that this is true like definitively true and I don't know I feel like going from a studio from a studio standpoint a Hollywood standpoint it's like they refuse to to make that to make that distinction for fear that someone somewhere might be offended or it could just be that they don't understand it. And so rather than try to talk definitively about something they don't understand, they'd rather just go with like a watered down version of it and say, okay, that's what it is. Um, sorry, we can uh, move on. I feel <laughs> no, like I've been talking for a while. That, um, I, I think, I mean, I think that all, that all tracks, um, I'm not, uh, as worked up about it as you are because, uh, it's, I don't care as much about how <laughs> Christians are depicted on in movies. <laughs> well, let me, but I would also say the other end of that is that when Hollywood does make 
like a definitively Christian film, they have the most simplistic view of firm Christianity. Oh, sure. They don't really seriously wrestle with how difficult it is to stick firm to that. Yeah. And that's, unfortunately, I think that's often because they are made by Christians who are really, who are thinking like recruitment, first of all. Well, I don't even mean like the God's Not Dead stuff. I mean, like, uh, I didn't see it, but you guys heard of that movie, Little Boy? Yeah, it was horrible. And uh, Miracles from Heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something else that came out. A couple of years the Young ago. Messiah? No, that's uh, that's that's recent. Anyway, it was one of those other type of movies that mm-hmm. but wasn't like this for real. Yes, that's the, exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. Okay. But are these when we're talking about Hollywood movies? Do those count? I don't know. I can't. I think those do. God's Not Dead is a different thing. But right, like, and there's like you know Sony dipping in, and and that's where you get somebody like a Jennifer Garner, like slightly oh, right. yeah. like a higher level, yeah, you know, people that are actually working as opposed to <laughs> right. you know. Uh, Boone, um, <laughs> but I think you could still call those like Christian movies. Pr- yeah. Most pr- most likely made by Christian filmmakers who, yeah. unfortunately, like I said, I think are mostly thinking how do we get people in the door of the church? Maybe I mean Miracles from Heaven was distributed by Columbia Pictures. Okay, so yeah, I think as as and we can get away from Christian film in a, in, in a moment, but I feel like. As we move forward, there's going to be a lot more blurring of that line uh, once, you know, because studios have definitely realized, oh, Christians go to see movies oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. are looking to spend money. Uh, so we got to get in on that. Um, and not in the way that we made Exodus Gods and Kings <laughs> or Noah, which I actually enjoy. Noah's good. Yeah. yeah, I like Noah quite a bit, but a lot of Christians didn't. I don't like no, either no. one of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to guess you didn't see either one, right? No, I did see. Both you, you saw both of them? Yeah. I don't think I, I reviewed Exodus for our website, battleshipretention.com. I don't read your reviews. <laughs> you know? Or even glance at the site. <laughs> yeah. I, find them, I find them far too preachy. Even, even the headlines you choose are, are preachy to me. Um, but, uh, so, okay. One thing I wanted to throw to Scott, because um, I like this idea that in the time since we first, since you first thought of this as a, as a topic, you feel like the landscape has changed a little bit. A little bit. Um, I think, I mean, movies like American Sniper and actually uh, earlier this year, 13 Hours. Um, oh, right. Which, which no one saw. But. I know, which is kind of too bad. Which, yes, is a Michael Bay movie and has kind of the typical Michael Bay conservatism as far as like honoring the troops above all. But the way he twists that into not only being... Uh, an indictment, not directly of Hillary Clinton, but through the dialogue, if you remember mm-hmm. that whole affair, pretty directly to Hillary Clinton, but also just of the idea that any political figure, be they Republican or Democrats, could have a definitive idea of what goes on in battle mm-hmm. is just like patently absurd. Yeah. Um, and so it's a, I feel like conservatism in movies is twisting more towards that. And I think American Sniper did the same thing. I think to a certain extent, Michael Bay's Transformers movies have done that. Um, of just really focusing away from sort of a, a preachy kind of surface level admiring of the troops to being like, no, these guys go through some horrible things. And the idea that this is being exploited by either side, um, for their political gain is ridiculous. Yeah, which yeah. is a thing that I got out of like Zero Dark Thirty. Is that like this yeah. is so much that's more what I was complex? Gonna say, that was going to bring up that movie because I feel like that's I feel like that's one that uh, uh, apologists on either side could see as extremely liberal or extremely conservative, depending on what you don't like about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that to me is uh, means it's probably a pretty good movie. 
Yeah, I think so. And that's something that, that people said about the Hurt Locker and just Catherine Bigelow in general is that she's much more interested in just engaging with these characters more than the larger thing and certainly any political points. Because in the moment, it's just like, okay, well, there's someone shooting at me and I'd rather not get shot. And I also don't want my friend here to get shot. So what do I need to do to stop that? And in that moment, they're not thinking like, oh, those damn politicians in Washington <laughs> bringing me here for no reason. Like, they don't give a shit about that. Right. I mean, they might in the larger sense, but in the moment. It's all about what's happening right now. And I feel like any movie that, you know, you were talking about like the the general like anti-war movies during the Bush administration, uh, whether they be on the battlefield or otherwise, like rendition, which is not very good, or the terrible David, you and I saw it, Lions <laughs> for Lambs. I saw both those movies. Yeah, no, they're thank you. They are rough. That thing is a mess. Although Tom Cruise doing great work. <laughs> <laughs> I think. The acting's pretty slow. Well, I don't like Meryl Streep these days, but... I thought he, I thought she was okay in that, but I maybe I was... Uh, Everyone's she, good in that, right down to uh, Kevin Dunn. Oh, I was going to say Kevin Dunn. There's no question. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I saw him at a Starbucks the other day. And they didn't have any cards on me. Had I had cards on me, oh, Kevin Dunn's being on this show, whether he likes it or not. Oh, Kevin Dunn, you dodged a bullet. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would just be me being like, you remember in Dave when... Uh, <laughs> but anyway, when you were wearing like a bow tie? But... Uh, <laughs> That's what I remember about his character. Um, so, yeah, uh, have you noticed? I'd love to hear the other end of that conversation. Like, yes, I do remember that. Yes, thank you. Can I leave now? <laughs> Can you give me my keys back? Um, taking my cherry ripe and going home. So, <laughs> oh, I guess the episode's over now. Um, Scott, have you have you noticed any other uh Changes, and then we can move on to to other things. But I'm I'm curious since you've been keeping tabs. I'm curious to know what other uh, observations you have made. Um, I guess there have been there's been an increase, sort of. I guess in more forwardly liberal movies. I think the Pitch Perfect series, imperfect as it is, um, gets towards an idea of uh, working through things collectively and through a group dynamic that. Uh, movies from a few even a few years ago would kind of ignore i mean there's the idea of we're all in this together is sort of a consistent thing across generations of movies but i think up until recently there's been a sense that like your friends are your friends and they'll be by you but you can't really rely on anyone else which is i think more traditionally a conservative idea whereas like liberals are i in my experience anyway the liberal point of view is that anyone around you is an ally and we're all working towards something together. And I think the movies like the pitch perfect series or like, uh, Spielberg's Lincoln, which is very much just about talking through problems and arriving at the most ideal solution rather than insisting upon a single point of view, um, and blocking out all others, which, you know, regardless of what you want to say, uh, that has been sort of the trend in Congress over the last four years, with uh, the conservative side of things. Um, I'm, I'm your fellow liberal here, and I agree with you that those are liberal ideals, but I do think that uh, I've become very dismayed at how many, um, at least outspoken liberals in real life here, have become just as clannish um, as you're accusing the um, uh, conservatives in Congress of being. Do you know what I mean? Not the, like To some extent, but what, go ahead. Self-selecting uh, in terms of the media they consume and only, oh, yeah, absolutely. only associating with uh, people who agree with them and it becomes an echo chamber. And then the when someone does disagree, the idea is not to talk it through, but to shut them down. 
and that's a you know uh, something you hear on the internet like oh so and so totally destroyed so and so or shut down so and so and I as a liberal I hate it so much because I feel like that's not what we're supposed <laughs> the to be idea doing. That the goal is to destroy <laughs> each other. Yeah, that's yeah. not what we're supposed to be doing. But we've but so many liberals uh, in the Twitter sphere and elsewhere have become get smug about being able to shut down the argument of someone who disagrees with them. And I, uh, I find it incredibly disheartening and frustrating. No, I agree. And I think modern liberalism has become more conservative <laughs> over the last couple of years <laughs> for partially that reason. Yeah. Uh, what else you got on your, on your list that you want to talk about? Oh, shoot. Uh, you guys might have to vamp for a second cause I got to scroll through this. Well, uh, what's your favorite candy again? <laughs> <laughs> As I swallow my water. Uh, well, you know, those, no, I already came up with something. Okay. Uh, Disney, I think is really at the forefront well, they ha- their live action stuff tends to be a little bit better, but I think their a- the animated work and the stuff they release through Marvel tends to be, I think, very not even interestingly conservative, but simplistically conservative. I mean, the Pixar stuff that's been released over the last few years, like Cars Two, was just an embarrassment. It was an entire movie about how you don't have to worry about how other pe- cultures perceive you; <laughs> you just have to be yourself. Um, Monsters University was took a very low uh, look at uh, education and insisted that everyone should just start a business rather than go into college. Uh, uh, Wreck-It Ralph, which is not Pixar, yeah. is a movie that I hated because it essentially tells people, uh, stick with uh, what you were born into yeah. and uh, don't try to strive for anything else. Or uh, question why you should be liked by a group of assholes. <laughs> what a terrible movie. Uh, yeah, I didn't did not like Craig Ralph, but well, you know what I did like. You talking about the live action stuff um, from last year was uh, McFarland USA. I didn't see it, um, which I think is a very uh, liberal minded movie in the idea um, that it does show people working through the differences together, mm-hmm. and also just showing an America that is not often depicted, and showing it as being as American as the you know standard americana that we see mm-hmm. in movies that a that a small town that is majority spanish speaking um is just as much a part of america as uh, uh i think i compared it when we talked about it um at the end of the last year i compared it to fields of dreams just because it's another kevin costner sports movie um and i i insist that both towns are equally representative of the american experience yeah, I mean, The Lone Ranger, for as flawed a movie as that is, is the Native American perspective on uh, essentially that whole genocide. Pro or con? <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan. Uh, but does that get, um, does that point of view, I, didn't, I haven't seen The Lone Ranger, does, are you able to set aside the idea that it's a white actor playing the Native American to actually see Well, that? Johnny Depp might differ with your classification of Johnny Depp. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> he's, uh, you know, one something uh, Cherokee or something. He's right. a regular Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> um, political. Um, um, but do, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I do know what you're talking about. And it's not the sort of issue that I get terribly hot-headed about. Um, so I'm not probably the best person to speak about. I'm not saying that it's something people shouldn't worry about. It's just not something that personally greatly concerns me because I think actors should be allowed to act basically. No, no, uh, this, you're also, I mean, I, I love to check everybody's privilege. You're also <laughs> a white man saying that. I, that's why I said up front. Yeah. I'm not saying anyone's wrong. to get upset about it. I'm saying for me personally, it is not a central issue. So I'm not the best person to talk about it. But I, I used to have this problem again. This is uh, uh recognize my white privilege uh, and male privilege, but I used to have this problem with in saying that 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a great feminist role model. <laughs> and then people would say, but she's too skinny. And it's like, that's not the point. Like, right. I, I understand that that is, that is a, that, that their damage is done by insisting on a certain, uh, standard of, uh, of, of female beauty. And we can criticize, uh, the show for, um, uh, for supporting that, but let's not miss the other lessons that are going on here that are that are really really helpful and insightful. I guess um, I would say the same with Lone Ranger. I guess so, but again, Johnny Depp has missed a few meals. I'll say that <laughs> yeah. he, he needs to put on some weight. But again, neither of us is a woman or a Native American. Well, hang on, now. women everywhere are definitely offended by the Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think a lot of people were, but for a number of reasons. If it's possible to be artistically offended, I think uh, that was. Although you like, you can be artistic. On the whole, offended. it's got a great cha- cr- uh, train chase at the end. It's Gore Verbinski, right? Yeah, I like him as a director. I know. I was I was uh, intrigued by the film, not enough to actually see it, but I was still playing at the New Beverly. I think this weekend or the next. Really, it really, it really is. That's interesting. They're also going to be showing uh, Dick Tracy soon. I know, I'm, I'm seeing excited. that. As am I. We'll Double feature. What, what day are you going? Probably Friday. Same here. Oh! <laughs> anyway. Wish Dick I was Tracy, going. Pretty, uh, pretty conservative. Uh, I've never seen it. I'm excited to do You've never but seen just, it? I've never seen the movie Dick Tracy. Tracy. But just as a character, I mean, he's... Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the point that, I don't know, I'm trying to think of like the most conservative person ever and be like, yeah, geez, Tracy, uh, calm down a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and yet directed by one of the most outspoken Hollywood liberals. I know, which is fascinating to me. The guy who, you know, before Dick Tracy, the last film he had made was Reds. Mm. <laughs> which, you know, it's like, did he do the, the two of them, like, one 1981, one 1990? It's like, all right, I need to balance out this decade. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Uh, so I'm okay. I'm looking at my at my list here, and I don't necessarily like to like to stick with uh, the idea of lists, um, especially because this one is super long. Um, but uh, but I want to I want to branch out of Hollywood a little bit and actually talk about just films in general. Uh, let's let's stick with America, uh, yeah. American films. Um, but uh, you know, independent or Hollywood or whatever, and just looking at certain. And this goes back to, uh, I think, Josh, what you were saying, the idea of like, well, what can, what counts as a conservative idea? What counts as a liberal idea? Um, and so even as I'm making my list, um, I'm think, I guess I, I'm looking at this more in terms of talking points than actual ideals, you know? And so like, I have a category of like corporate greed, uh, environmentalism, uh, rich versus poor, or I guess you could say income inequality, uh, the, uh, the importance of unions, uh, gay rights, abortion rights, socialism, diplomacy over war, suspicion of the American dream, anti-bigotry, communism slash terrorism slash multiculturalism, depictions of Christianity and Catholicism, uh, and then various depictions of like presidents and pol- and real life pres- presidents and politicians in film, um, and just looking at the disparity there. Um, Pick one of those topics. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. T- did, did any of those jump out to you? Um, uh, I guess the diplomacy versus war does because I think. Uh, American movies, no matter the size, tend to view violence as an acceptable and often desirable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and that's from us. That's the thing. On top of everything else, we're not merely talking about politics. We are also talking about movies. And the nature of movies is that you have to have something to show, you know, and yeah, but war I, is a very dynamic thing to show. No, I, I agree. But uh, and I did think of a better liberal war movie. And that's the thin red line. Sure. Um, but, you know, I mean a smart writer can make a good movie about people talking through a problem. And I, I, you just mentioned Lincoln. Yeah. Lincoln, I think is 
the utmost example of that, especially of recent movies. Um, so this idea that in order to have conflict, people have to, you know, shoot each other mm-hmm. is, you know, I think it's insulting to good writers and I don't think it's an inherent thing in the movies. Did you see Eye in the Sky? No, I have not yet. It is very, very good. And I'd be, I've, I'm sure I'm the only one here that has seen it. It is worth seeing. And it would play into this conversation in a very interesting way because you have this idea. It's, it's about drone warfare, but it's also about this very specific situation and the idea of choosing the lesser of two evils, but then not everyone can agree right. what the lesser is. Um, and you actually get all sides. You get, you know, the military proactive side, one could say the hawkish side. Uh, but then you also get like these politicians who are sort of more doves, but at the same time, the politicians are seen as a little bit mealy mouthed and more than anything, just like scared to, uh, do the wrong thing lest they get in trouble. Um, and then the, the, the generals and the military types seem a little bit, uh, bullish, you know, to the point where it's just like, uh, they made their mind up already and maybe they're not open to other ideas. Um, but the audience themselves, like I, I'd be fascinated to know in watching the film, how people, I could see two people coming away from that movie with completely different interpretations of what should have happened. And that's actually a movie that, yes, there is violence, um, but it's at a minimum. For the most part, it is people talking things out. And it's there is a threat of violence, but I guess that's what a, what a war movie can be. Um, talking things out and just trying to get to a solution. And everybody is committed to the larger good, which is we don't want terrorists around and they're going to kill innocent people. So that's the larger good, but then implementation is everything. And I feel like eye in the sky is such an intellectually and morally invigorating film, uh, in regards to, um, war movies. I think it's one of the, I don't say this lightly. Uh, I think there's like one of the best war movies I've ever seen. Um, because of its ambiguity. It does still seem like that's kind of the exception, though. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I, so I was going to speak to what you were saying about... Because about, you mentioned that action is more... Dynamic? Dynamic. Right. Dynamic. And uh, so I think... I think the tendency of of uh, there being more films that are violent or that show violence as the answer between two things is really just kind of... Uh, I think it's because it's harder to make a conversation between two people over a conflict as cinematically interesting as it is to make violence interesting. It, it's not impossible by any means, but I feel like, uh, given the resources that they have, a lot of times it's easier for filmmakers to be like, well, if we have two people shooting each other, that's automatically interesting. Whereas the conversation itself, it, it takes a lot more work to be interesting. So I, I would say that's probably a reason why, that we see more of that. No, I know, but I don't think it necessarily has to be that complicated. We just, for movie night recently, watched Shotgun Stories, mm-hmm. which is a movie about an ever-building violent conflict that eventually yeah. ends with them just saying, eh, we'd rather not. Totally, no, and, but see, I think that that's the, uh, that's the result of a very talented writer and filmmaker. But I don't feel like the writing is that complex. Basically, just gets to a final showdown where the guy's like, I don't want to keep fighting. It's not, it's, it's not, it's complex. not an elaborately written screenplay. No, it's not elaborate or complex, but it's very well done. Like yeah. it, it, it takes, it takes talent to make that happen more talent than it does to put two people in a room and have them shoot at each other. I think, see, I think it's about even for them to just reach a point where one of them says, I don't want to fight anymore. It's not, like I said, it's not, 
But it has to build to that point. It has to build well to that point. We have to understand those characters and what they've gone through and a lot of those things. I think there's enough reluctant heroes, though, in most uh, American movies that they could build that just as easily. I do. I'm reminded of uh, Gran Torino. Yeah. Which does build to ultimately now it's not hey let's walk away there's still a violent conclusion but it's most definitely not the violent conclusion that we are being set up for not merely by this film but by <laughs> Clint Eastwood's right. entire career mm-hmm. and what's interesting to me is that I think he's definitely trying to you know with Unforgiven and then Gran Torino I think he's trying to actively work against two pers- two Clint Eastwood personas one is like the very violent uh, cowboy and the other is Dirty Harry um and who is, yes, he's a cop, but he's basically a vigilante, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so he's trying to work against those two things. But what's interesting, and which is something that I admire a great deal, um, because though Clint Eastwood has shown himself to be politically very conservative, I think there's definitely a sensitivity underneath that people don't immediately associate with uh, conservatives in general, but also conservatives that look and talk like Clint Eastwood, especially. (laughs) Um, But what I do think is interesting is that in a way, it's almost like he needed, it's not like this was part of a long con or anything like that, but he needed the, the intense violence of the previous films for Gran Torino to work as ultimately the choice of self-sacrifice instead of, uh, violence. Mm -hmm. Um, and if he had not, first off, he probably wouldn't have made the film if he didn't have those previous films. So he probably wouldn't have seen any need for it to be made, but I don't know. It's, it's tough because the power of that film is contingent on you having seen the intense violence of his other films. I think to a certain extent, or at least being culturally familiar with them. Yeah. Tyler knows that, to ex- the words to a certain extent means no, you're wrong. Because <laughs> that's how Tyler uses wait, that what, phrase. What is, wait, did he just say that? I yeah. did just say that. Oh, I don't know. It's, uh, basically, it's white noise that phrase at this point for me. Um, yeah, wait, so you're saying I'm completely wrong, as David no, said? No, not at all. I'm okay. just saying like you don't need to have seen Dirty Harry to have inherited an idea of Clint Eastwood. Oh, no question about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the the concept of yeah. do you feel lucky with a yeah. you know forty four magnum in somebody's face is just you just absorb that yeah. you know, um, and I don't let's see. So I've only seen Dirty Harry, and I believe Harry Callahan has been in like four movies, five. I five. think five. I've only okay. I've only seen Dirty Harry too. Me too. Is that the one where it's do I feel lucky? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's right, in that one. But the other one, Make My Day, is in like Magnum Force or okay. something. Oh, really? One of okay. the other big quotes yeah. is not from that movie, okay. and I think that's the one. I can't think of a more inherently like essence of Clint Eastwood, the way we picture him title as Magnum force. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so um, yeah, I will say that, that definitely from a cinematic standpoint, um, there are probably way more pro war movies. I don't know. There yeah. Def- I mean, there's definitely not a lot of movies that avoid it completely. You know, right. There are some anti-war movies where there's still a lot of fighting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Truffaut, I think, would say that there's no such thing as an anti-war war movie. Hmm. <laughs> you like Truffaut. I do. Is that true? Yeah, Not probably. that he said that, but I mean, <laughs> no, I what he's saying. Oh, okay. Um, the, uh, I tend to disagree with it, but it's Yeah, I think that maybe is a little bit simplistic yeah. of a statement. Come on, Franz. But he, I think he probably said in the 60s and it was a different scene then. 
Maybe. Yeah, yeah they, they didn't do war. Well, I don't know. I was going to say they didn't do war movies the way that they did in like the 80s now, but they did have stuff like To Hell and Back and some of those crazy like, look at our heroes do amazing things. And I don't know. When was Battle of Algiers? When did that come out? That was the 60s, 68s, okay. I want to say. That seems kind of like an anti-war, but I guess you might have said it before that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah good call. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess I'm thinking in terms of, of and I actually only I only wrote down two titles, so maybe that's telling in and of itself. But, Under Diplomacy uh, and War, you mean? Yeah, uh, like for example, now... Michael Moore is all over this this list. And, uh, sorry, I went all not- over every aspect of my little email <laughs> yeah. to myself here um, in various categories. Um, and Fahrenheit 9-11, where ultimately he's saying, like, well, the Iraq... Now, that's a specific thing. It's not a general thing. Um, and anytime you get specific, it's hard to know if, if you can ascribe generalities to that. But... Um, but he's very much making this argument. It's like, well, this war absolutely shouldn't have happened. They did it for these reasons, these reasons, and war is never the answer and all that sort of thing. Um, and then goes through and doctors footage and basically lies. There's an argument to be made that the Iraq war should not have happened. <laughs> why doesn't he just make that? Like, why does he uh, do so much manipulation to the point of, I would venture to say outright lies. Um, and if and like the career and the success of Michael Moore and the fact that like studios are, are willing to let him do whatever they want, whatever he wants, and they'll just like, I guess he makes the movies on his own and then they yeah. pick them up. I don't even um, know if they're released by studios. Gosh, I wonder. <laughs> what was the what was the um, where to invade next? Right, mm-hmm. what, who put that out? I don't know. Okay, some jokers. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, we couldn't get into it if you want. I just feel like documentaries are such a well, se- se- separate category. I think the Weinstein company put that. That out. sounds right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. No, it's hippies. Um, <laughs> I just feel like documentaries are supposed to be long haired I mean, smoking hippies, the Weinsteins. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, to me, they're just less interesting ideologically to discuss because there's less hidden corners in them. I mean, yeah, it's all especially Michael Moore. Yeah, it's all out, out there. there. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the thing about Michael Moore is that the reason that he bothers me as a documentarian is because he brings so much non-documentary sentiment, uh, not sentiment, uh, mentality to documentaries. Like he wants to craft a story. He wants to craft a narrative out of existing footage that may not fit it. And so he will make that work. And he's like, just, just write it. You made Canadian bacon, make another one. <laughs> Canadian bacon is pretty good. I've never enjoyed that movie. Yeah. That's pretty, you liked it, right? Yeah. yeah it's fun. Good stuff. Um, but, uh, so looking at, at a few of these other categories, obviously we're not going to jump into all of them, but, um, uh, what do you, what do you have the most examples for? Uh, environmentalism. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to go through here. Fern Gully. <laughs> Never uh, seen it. <laughs> and in, now that's the last rainforest, by the way. Oh, thank you. So, um, where you are the endangered species. Um, so <laughs> probably an inconvenient truth, which yes, it's a documentary, but it's a, Fairly straightforward one. Um, Promised Land, The Day After Tomorrow, Avatar, The China Syndrome, Aaron Brockovich, A Civil Action, Wally, and it w- and it does go on. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like what you named those are in, those are movies that deal with environmental concerns, but those are more anti corporate movies than anything else. Uh, in almost every well, off, uh, I feel like oftentimes those have to go, go hand in hand, hand yeah. because if. The, 
I feel like normally the environmental concerns that we see in a movie, if there's a movie about environmental concerns, it's about how a corporation is destroying the rainforest or or your drinking water or something like that. I'm trying to think of a movie that deals with environmental concerns that isn't that type of movie. I feel like that's my go-to. Maybe Uh, I haven't seen a long time movie, Princess Mononoke. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's been a long time. Unless I guess there could be some allegorical corporations in that one. It could be, yeah. Uh, Like I said, it's been a while. Also, it comes from another culture, so there could be specific corporations that they're talking about in within Japan that we don't really know about as Americans. I'm I'm not sure. I'm just on this list. I also forgot to incorporate uh, a number of Steven Seagal films from the '90s, (laughs) which are horrible. It is hilarious how many of those like fire down below and on deadly ground and the various other generic titles where they're about environmental concerns. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, it is ridiculous. Well that see, that seems to me an example of what we were talking about earlier of a movie that's kind of hedging its bets. Cause it's like, we'll take one from each thing. We'll take (laughs) environmental concerns, uh, Corporations report uh, poisoning your water, and we'll take Steven Skull just kicking people's asses <laughs> for no reason, and we'll just put them together, and everyone yeah. have something to balance out the thing they don't like so much. I That's assuming Steven. he kicks people's asses in it. I mean, you'd hope so. Well, well Skull. oddly enough, these are all very anti-violent films. Like he sits down with the head of the corporation <laughs> he's, and says, "He's he was injured in the war. He's in a wheelchair the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it's basically born on the Fourth of July." Um, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I, forget, I think it was on Deadly Ground where Michael Caine is the villain and he's like the head of an oil company. Mm. Um, and in case you don't know how oily he is, <laughs> his hair's like slicked back and jet black um, and just and super shiny as though he literally dipped his hands in oil to uh, slick his hair back. It's just it's just awful. But, um, um, I think the point that I was trying to get at is that mm-hmm. I think. Uh, Environmentalism, environmental conservationism is, I don't think it's inherently a leftist or, or rightist thing. It's these movies pick on corporations. I make them seem like they're, but, um, I think you can approach it from the other way. And I'm racking my brain trying to think of the name of a movie from about four years ago. It's not very good, but it's fascinating from this point of view. John Krasinski's in it. Drew Barrymore. It's, prom- oh. it's the uh, not not promising. Right. It's older than that. Um, about the whale trapped in the ice yeah, in Alaska. I was say, uh, oh man, what is the name of that movie? I don't recall. Is it whale trap? Is that? No, <laughs> yeah. it's called like Big Something. Ice whale. Ice whale. That's is the it. One. Ice whale. Yeah, you're right. you're right. It's and I think that, did they even make? I think they made a sequel to it. But I might be wrong about that. I mean, it's based Dolphin on a true story. Tale. I don't think they could... Uh, big Miracle. Big, big Miracle. Big Miracle. That's the right. Uh, I knew it was big something. Which is a really um, great band from the 70s. Um, and I, what I what I find fascinating about that movie is that it has people like Drew Barrymore's character, who is a you know, hippy-dippy environmental activist type. But it also has, like I think, Ted Danson's character, who is essentially convinced to help save whales and stuff uh, because it will be good for him as a businessman. Like yeah. it has arguments, uh, which I think you've seen there are, there's a, there's a documentary recently or not recently, maybe three years ago. I can't remember the name of it cause I didn't see it. Um, but uh, I saw the trailer a number of times cause it was the kind of trailer that showed it a lot of Lemley theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the point of it was that 
um, corporations or businesses can find ways to profit off of being green. And that's the argument we need to be having. Uh, totally. And, and, and so I think, I guess my whole point is that I don't think environmentalism is naturally a liberal concern. There, I was going to say that's a separate thing. So I wouldn't respond to that yet. Cause I think there's certain aspects of environmentalism, like, that could be seen as more liberal or conservative, but I do like that idea. And I feel like I would like to see more movies that are like that about how, like even if our ideals are based on certain things, we can come to common goals through those ideals. And I feel like that's interesting. And I, and I think, uh, as far as corporations are concerned, there has been a shift in a lot of corporations towards that recently to be like, no, wait a minute that we, we agree on a lot of the same things. So let's, let's work together for those things. Yeah. And, and part of that is just the, I think the, um, changing of public opinion. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's why, like, I don't think, uh, Marvel threatens to pull their production from Georgia because whatever, they're like super, uh, liberals and standing up for the rights of trans people. I think because they can read, they can yeah, stick their it's a good image. Yeah. They can stick their thumb in the air and read the, which no, tell which way the wind is blowing. And that's, mm-hmm. that's why they, that's why they do it. Now, I do want to not necessarily disagree, but I am intrigued at this notion that, like, we've got hippie liberal Drew Barrymore, mm-hmm. and then we've got corporate guy Ted Danson, and they they have this thing. It's like, oh, well, we we both want to benefit in our own way, but we're going to work together so that we have our separate benefits. That's all well and good. However if Ted Danson's character assessed the situation and found that actually this does not profit me, he's the villain. Okay. Like, and so that's the thing. The, the film is operating on the truth that this environment, don't get me wrong. I'm nothing against killer whales. I mean, they are killers. <laughs> there is that. I saw Orca, um, but, uh, you know, you leave Richard Harris alone, but, uh, there is an assumption there that, Green is inherently good. And if a corporate guy can get on on board with it, he's a good guy. If he cannot see a reason to get on board with it, he's a bad guy. Like there is a, a central philosophy that all of this is based on. If, if you had two separate, it'd be a very strange film, but if you had <laughs> Ted Dance, it's from his point of view and he arrives there independently and then Drew Barrymore is already there. That's one thing. But as it is, it's look, you audience, we all agree what needs to happen here now let's watch if this corporate guy eventually arrives at the truth we all acknowledge but i mean when it comes to like the world being a more livable place for longer don't we all kind of agree <laughs> like shouldn't it be well that, that's uh, why i was going to say condition that's why i was going to say there's different arguments about it because i think uh yes i think most people would agree on that um but i think the differences come in things like is global warming a man-made thing or like it are the, or and that bothers me. Cause that, the, to me, it's like a part of me is like, well, what's done is done. Let's fix the problem. Mm. Well, well but, that, but that is, that's the nature of the problem is if it's not a man-made thing, then the fixing it is not what people who think it is a man-made thing. Cause if you think it's created by people, whatever doing coal mines or something like that, then you need to stop coal mines to fix it. But I, if you I don't think that. that affects it, then that's not an argument. And also the liberal perspective also comes more from like, we should save the animals for the sake of the animals, not for the general ecosystem that we all benefit from. I was as callous as I was going to sound, I was going to (laughs) say, 
this killer whale stuck in the ice or whatever it is has no bearing on my life whatsoever and right. no bearing on the earth in general. But it's, I guess I'm saying this is a movie, as, as Scott was saying, this is not a documentary. This is a, right. uh, uh, even though it's based on a real story. But the whale is a metaphor for all of our futures. That's what I'm saying. The point, the was that the tagline? <laughs> the point of conservation. The taglines of movies would just say what it's a metaphor yeah. for. The point of environmentalism is not to, I mean, it's great to make. Um, animals more comfortable but I think and maybe this is just my point of view I think the main thing is that uh, future generations of human beings uh, should should have uh, the opportunity to have a better life uh, or at least as good a life not a worse life than we have so to me it's not to reduce this is why as Matthew McConaughey famously said it's not about hugging trees <laughs> um <laughs> Was that in Fool's Gold? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that was he. That was in uh, every commercial break I fast forward through. Oh right, um, yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean, I, 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 to me, that that seems like a an, an an evident good. And I think where the issue comes in is like you know, we talked about global warming. Let's talk about Promised Land, which is an anti-fracking film. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of people that think it's a good thing. A lot of people that think it's a bad thing. And there is actually, unlike global warming, which I do understand, uh, a lot of the science is going one way. Whereas fracking's kind of it's fifty fifty. But nobody's making a movie pro fracking. You know what I mean? Like I don't even know what that movie would look like. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because that's the thing is there. In the same way that uh, this is TV, not movies, but this is, goes back to a thing that David and I have been saying for, have been talking about for a long time, that um, that the West Wing, by its very nature, and by the tone that Aaron Sorkin is trying to strike with it, it sort of needs to be about a liberal. It needs to be about a Democrat because it's all about let's move forward, let's look for active solutions. We are the government. Let's try to figure something out, as opposed to. A Republican president, which is let's leave people alone and let them run their businesses, and <laughs> which isn't isn't very dramatically. It's not very dramatic. It's just <laughs> sitting back. It's just like, hey, uh, uh, Congress did. I'm going to veto that. It's like, and just like that's this is not. How's Microsoft doing? Good, great. Okay, glad to hear it. The end. Hey, when when am I for re-election? You know, it's, <laughs> it's it's basically that, and then yeah, uh, I, I predict it doesn't run for uh, seven seasons uh, if that's the case, and so there or seven episodes. That's true. Yeah, even more seasons in the uh, fringe alternate universe. By the way, is that true? Yeah, there's a it's a it's a tiny joke. There's an episode in Fringe in the other universe, and a cab pulls up, and it has an ad on it that says West Wing season eleven starting whenever. <laughs> I, I would actually kind of love it if they just kept the West Wing going indefinitely right. and just every four, you know, just watch it's like Doctor presidency. Who. They'd have a new one come in. On <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> not. It's exactly like Doctor Ooh. Who. And you have the viewers vote. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little too interactive for uh, me. I'm, I'm on board. <laughs> the viewers vote for the president of <laughs> yeah. the new TV show. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love it. <laughs> American president. Um, but, but that's the thing is, when it comes right down to it, and this is a thing that I, okay, I'm getting into larger a larger political discussion. Okay, well we probably can't do that. Okay, <laughs> going on. I, I will make this point, and then and then we, we need can to probably have an eye towards wrapping up. This is an eye towards wrapping up, David. <laughs> All right. Why don't you just get off my? Ba- oh shoot, we still have to record yeah. more. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have more to do. After okay, this. yes, okay, I. I will uh, be succinct. Um, <laughs> 
that uh, there is a, a video by uh, Bill Whittle, um, who I know some listeners don't care for, and I understand why, um, but he has a video that's called Why We Suck, and basically talks about why it sucks to be a conservative, because conservatives are the ones that say, hey, everybody, let's calm down. Uh, let's be cautious. Let's slow everything down. Uh, maybe we're moving too fast. It's it's like the killjoy. It is the person who who says... It's it's the that Buckley quote, uh, the person who stands astride history shouting stop. Yeah. And nobody wants to be that guy. No. And being that guy does not make for incredibly dynamic uh very incredibly dynamic protagonist for a film. Mm. It makes for a great antagonist. Uh that guy is always gonna be played by John Lithgow in Footloose. Um <laughs> but the and so I feel like almost from a storytelling standpoint, and not necessarily and I don't wanna I recognize that this might lead to larger things. From a storytelling standpoint, if a film is going to be political, overtly, maybe even just a little bit, but if it's going to be overtly political, your protagonist is likely going to be uh, a liberal and is going to be working towards liberal things. And if he's not at first, he will become that eventually. In overt political movies, yeah, but I'm not concerned with those. I'm talking about the movies that aren't about people changing policy or whatever, which are normally the normal Hollywood structure is the reluctant hero thing where somebody doesn't want to do anything with their lives, it seems, and then gets drawn to this larger conflict that is about defending the establishment. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hang on. Uh, I want to make sure I got what you just said. Okay. (laughs) I got you. I got you. I got you. Um, so that's an, 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 according to the structure you just set up, that's an inherently conservative standpoint is that, they don't want anything to change, and they're trying to protect it exactly like it is. I don't think the reluctant hero is always trying to defend the establishment. I think all, a lot of times the reluctant hero has to stand up against That's some true. kind of, uh, you know, if we were to go super conservative, like, say, an all-powerful government or something like yeah. that. That's but true it, to a certain extent. I, I feel I guess like the reluctant hero can, that, that can easily go either way. Yeah, I guess I wasn't thinking I brought in the reluctant hero thing because it's a familiar trope, but I was thinking more so of like the Marvel movies, which are very much about defending a certain establishment. You could also say that those movies are just as much about uh, a team of people coming together to achieve a goal together, which you were. Yeah. For one movie. They they really abandoned that team idea pretty fast. They came back together to fight Ultron. And then they they disassembled. What was that? And then they disassembled more so than ever. I think that's the, the, maybe one of the, as much as I do like the Marvel universe, that is kind of the problem with the Avengers movies is that eventually it's like, seems to me once you become the Avengers, you stay the Avengers, right? Yeah. I mean, they're just rushing to the big comic book storylines that took decades to build. (laughs) And that's, I I think that goes to a whole other problem with one of, I think many problems with those Marvel movies is they need to come up with some kind of conflict. So it's like, it's not that interesting if they're all on the same team working together. Like we have to get them to, there has to be infighting for us to be interested, which is kind of like a soap opera (laughs) kind of. Yeah. But it's actually why civil war looks particularly interesting to me. I worry that the, whatever philosophical issues that they're going to be dealing with are going to be overly simplified because that was a huge, you know, that took place over like two years in the comics. Right? Yeah. And this and will be so, probably three quarters of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that will be, that will be tough, but yeah, the you know idea what I'm concerned about when it comes to civil war, what's that? I drove past the billboard the other day and didn't see Ant-Man on that billboard. That's all I care He's about. He's too small. Yeah. You're not supposed to. Is that, I want, He's I want in, the movie. I want Ant-Man to be in at least half of the movie. <laughs> really? Ant-Man is the last, uh, Marvel movie I liked. 
Oh, okay. There's also the last one they released, I think. Is it? <laughs> I don't pay attention. That might be true. Um, yeah, it's... Is uh, Deadpool a Marvel movie? No. It's a Marvel character, but it's not part of that universe. It's a separate yeah. studio. So that's possible. Right? <laughs> Catch up, yeah. Josh. Oh, my gosh. I wish these movies didn't exist. <laughs> hey, you and me both. <laughs> I think they're pretty damn great. I'm just saying... I'm, I've liked two of them. I'm subconsciously thinking of Captain America Civil War as the next Ant-Man movie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't argue with that. Um, so, okay, I know we need to wrap up. Yeah, so I'll just I, I say feel like that, I brought some levity here. Yeah. Let's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I feel like we've just <laughs> some much needed levity. Yeah, let's, in, let's ride with that. In standard battleship retention fashion, uh, David and I were a little bit nervous coming into this because uh, we were, you know, talking politics. You never know how things are going to go, but. Thankfully, we were able to completely dissolve that by just talking in circles and not coming to any conclusions at all. Yeah, what do we say? That was my entire goal. Uh, Are movies more (laughs) liberal or conservative? I feel like we didn't talk about that at all. I say, (laughs) listeners, you tell us in the comments section. You vote. (laughs) Yeah. This is a democracy. <laughs> and yeah, whichever side wins becomes the president of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, whoever wins, we lose. I think that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, Although David and Tyler resolve, uh, reserve the right to veto your, your <laughs> oh, yeah. question. Uh, the whale is a metaphor for everything. <laughs> you, on that note, you can find us and you can leave comments at battleshippretension.com. That's where you can find uh, reviews of a lot of the movies we talked about today, including Big Miracle, if you go back far enough. <laughs> I did review it for the site. Um <laughs> And you can uh, leave comments there. Uh, all the podcasts are there. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or uh, at tyler at battleshipretention.com. Never both. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Uh, what's going on in your other podcasts? One of them is uh, about Survivor. Yeah, and this season is shaping up. Not even shaping up. It is great. It is a. Right. There has not been a single dud this this season. Well, let's talk about that in the movie journal. Indeed. Uh, but then, but um, not too long there either. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> I don't like that you're dictating to me how what I'm going to say. I've um, kind of been doing that for nine years. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> um, but the. Uh, yeah, so for more than one lesson, uh, Robert and I recorded the episode already. It'll be posting on Thursday. Uh, we talk about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The episode is uh, exactly two hours long, so we really delve into it quite a bit. Um, and I did also want to say, in case anybody is interested, uh, the last weekend of April, I'm going to be in Orlando. Um at the International Christian Film Festival, I'm going to be giving a lecture at 10 a.m. on Friday, April 29th. So I'm sure a lot of people will show up to it, and I will be in top form because 10 a.m. though at a film festival, a lot of hangovers. Absolutely, it's, <laughs> and you know what? They don't let that Christian thing get in the way. Like yeah. they really go for it because you know they're away from their families. Um, but uh, but on top of that, uh, I'm also going to be in Orlando for a like a couple days. For cheap flight purposes, I actually wound up having come in, having to come in like two days early. Uh, so I'm going to be looking for something to do. So if any listeners uh, would like to go to Denny's or something like that late at night, email me tylerbattleshipretention.com and uh, we can hang out in Orlando. Have fun. Or I'll just go to Harry Potter again. Whatever. All right. Um, my other podcast is called Hey Watch This. It's about television, but I have no idea what's going on over there this week because I'm taking yet another week <laughs> off going to Vegas again. Um, guests. Where can people find you on the internet? Let's start with Josh. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Josh Long, or if you do Letterboxd, I'm also at the Josh Long on that. Uh, I am 
occasionally a co-host on more than one lesson. Most recently was our God's Not Dead 2 episode. That's right. So if you want to hear about two hours of talking about that movie, you know where to go. And then I I occasionally write for Battleship Retention as well. You can find my reviews there. Um, I've got a couple coming up soon that I'm excited about. I'll I'll tease it that way and leave it at that. Scott? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at rail of tomorrow, uh, writing at shortly. I'll be back on here in three weeks to talk about TCM fest, which yeah. the screening started at 9am David. So you better, better start waking up. <laughs> oh, I get rid of that hangover. Like yeah. I said two hours ago, I know how to party, <laughs> which means I know how to deal with the consequences. How to recover. There you go. All right. Um, so yeah, I'm doing that. What else am I doing? Criterion cast. We're doing new episodes there. I got reviews up there as well. Uh, but this, recently this about better. Battleship Ninja is better. It's more recent anyway. I wrote about Green Room this week, which isn't isn't that good, guys. Uh, you are in the minority there. <laughs> I think it's uh, fantastic. I'm uh, very eager to see it. Have fun. It's a conservative movie aesthetically. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> All right. So that'll be uh, the next time Scott's on will be Turner Classic Movies. After that, it'll be our big discussion, roundtable discussion. Is Green Room a conservative or a liberal movie? Uh, so if I, if I were to like have like my tweaked audio earbuds in listening to like speeches by Ronald Reagan while watching Green Room, it would all work out. Sure. All right. Just all right. Sure. Everybody at home, try that. Uh, comment on, <laughs> on this post. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 